Welcome to Courage and Spice. This is the podcast for humans with self-doubt. I'll share evidence-based resources and teach you proven coaching tools to help you transcend your self-doubt. I'm Sass Petherick, a master coach and founder of the Self-Belief Coaching Academy. I'm so glad you're here. Let's do this. Hello there folks, today it's a short solo episode from me to you. I wanted to talk to you about self-doubt as an unreliable narrator. And one question that you can ask yourself to begin to turn around those stories that your self-doubt may be telling you. So long-time listeners will know that I characterize self-doubt as our inbuilt protection mechanism. That means its whole purpose is to hold us back from some sort of perceived risk. And self-doubt will often say anything to hold us back. It's trying to stop us from being hurt, from repeating old hurts. Often the ways that it holds us back are really sophisticated. So today's episode, I wanted to talk about the three kind of key ways that self-doubt gives us unreliable information. I want to share with you how you can spot each one and give you a process to get to the truth, the more reliable information that's underneath all the stuff that self-doubt tells us. So what does it mean to be an unreliable narrator? Well, when it comes to self-doubt, it means that the way that we interpret reality, interpret our situations and our contexts that activate our self-doubt is often disproportionate and unreliable. Its purpose is not to kind of tell us the truth about what's actually going on. It's to try and protect us from being hurt. So it will say any old thing as long as we hold ourselves back. Now, I found that there are three key sort of stories or three ways that this unreliable narrator of self-doubt can show up. So I want to go through these one by one and just notice if you experience these, if you recognize yourself telling yourself these kinds of stories. Okay, so the first one, the first unreliable narration from self-doubt is all or nothing thinking. So this tactic sets us up with two options, both of which sound and feel pretty crappy. So there's usually a dissatisfying first choice followed by a really risky or crunchy feeling second choice. So it can sound like I either never market my business, which is pretty dissatisfying, right? Or I do it and I risk no one buying. So both choices end up with us feeling like something's gone wrong. I either stay single forever or I risk rejection. I either explain this boundary to my partner and ask for them to honor it, or I risk them getting defensive and having a conflict with them. Right, so notice that all or nothing gives us these two crappy options. Both of them are really undesired. And the reason that this is unreliable as a narration is because there is always a third option. 
it's probably going to be messier, right? It's probably somewhere in the middle. The third option will probably require you to do something that feels uncomfortable, that feels a little bit risky. But importantly, the third option is proportionate. The third option is more likely to get you what you actually want. So just notice, is all or nothing one of the ways that self-doubt tells you stories? The second one is globalizing. Now, this is when you can find yourself using words like always, never, everyone, no one to describe a situation. It can sound like people always disappoint me. Everyone else has their shit together. I'll never make money doing something I love. Everyone is going to think I'm so incapable when they read that email with the typo I've just spotted. Right, globalizing is a way of sort of hyper-generalizing. And notice that when we overlay that with self-doubt, we tend to assume the worst, right? So we can globalize in a positive sense, right? Everything is always working out in my favor. The universe always has my back, right? And that can feel disproportionate too, But notice that when self-doubt gets involved, we're always globalizing to the negative. So what's happening here is that we're using one instance and we make it global, right? You didn't get an interview, but then you globalize it to mean that all future job prospects are screwed, right? It's totally unreliable as a narration of your life because it's disproportionate. We're taking one isolated instance and then applying it to all future instances. And this is also why you can go from, I'm going to post something slightly controversial on Instagram, which carries a risk of maybe judgment. People might disagree with me. And then we take that and globalize it to imagine the worst case scenario where perhaps you end up living out of a shopping trolley under a bridge smelling of cat wee. The worst part of globalization, I think, is that it's a waste of your imagination, right? All that creative power, all that possibility is being funneled into something that's really unhelpful. Okay, the third way that self-doubt is an unhelpful narrator or an unreliable narrator is the use of emotional reasoning to justify decisions, right? I feel this, therefore it must be true and I must do this. I feel jealous, so my partner must be untrustworthy. I've got to end this or I've got to pull away. I feel hesitant before the job interview. So clearly this job isn't the one for me. I should just walk out now. Being visible on social media to advertise my business feels a bit exposing. Therefore, I'm not cut out for this and I should just give up now. I really, really want to find the person who first said, if it isn't a hell yes, it must be a no. We really need to stop saying this to ourselves because it's just not true. The saddest part about using emotional reasoning to kind of justify decisions is that often what we're doing is acting on something that is very temporary and is actually associated with us being unpracticed or unfamiliar with something. If you think about all the nuanced conditions, the wider context, the 
fickle body sensations that lead us to even know what we're feeling. And then to make decisions on top of that, often quite important ones with quite far-reaching consequences. We're basing that on a temporary emotion. I think when we use emotional reasoning to make decisions, that's usually the kinds of decisions that we later regret. We've often just tried to keep ourselves safe in the moment of that emotion feeling uncomfortable. And we don't know how we're going to feel in a little while. We don't know how we're going to feel after we've done this three, four, half a dozen, 20 times. Maybe actually we shouldn't be giving up so early. So I think I used emotional reasoning to make most life decisions in my 20s and for much of my 30s. <laughs> and I've actually learned a personal rule that I'm so happy to share with you that keeps me out of this. And it's to make a promise to myself that I won't make decisions after a drink, after 10pm or after some big emotional experience. Those are the three aspects of my world that used to kind of get me into making decisions that I would often later regret. All or nothing thinking, globalizing, and emotional reasoning. These are the three kind of core stories that I think our self-doubt will tell us that I've certainly seen time and time again with clients over the years. These are the ways that our self-doubt kind of tries to keep us safe and actually ends up containing us or keeping us in a place of dissatisfaction in a life that doesn't really suit us. Now, what I think is really helpful to know is that globalizing all or nothing thinking and emotional reasoning are all heuristics. Heuristics are really helpful mental shortcuts that are designed to help us make meaning out of information and make decisions quickly. Some of these heuristics can be really positive. They help us to kind of know our own mind, right? We can sometimes see them as generalizations, rules of thumb. They help us to reduce cognitive load, right? In a world where there is just a lot of choices can be very effective for making snap decisions and snap judgments. But when self-doubt is running the show, our heuristics tend to be quite disproportionate and unhelpful. And that means that it will often lead to pretty unsatisfactory or inaccurate conclusions. And this is because, again, self-doubt is here to try and protect us. It's trying to hold us back from anything that carries a little bit of perceived risk. You can just start to notice when you jump to a conclusion with minimal information, right? When you assume your gut feel is the only possible and right response. If you start to describe yourself using words like, I'm not good at taking feedback, or I'm lazy, or I'm self-reliant, right? Where it's a kind of absolute, it's a, it's a form of globalizing. Maybe you project your own worries onto someone else, like, oh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. If you feel any kind of sort of oversized emotional or physical sensation, any kind of response to a little bit of information, these are all signs that some sort of heuristic is at play, right? And those three core heuristics, 
of all or nothing thinking, globalizing, emotional reasoning. They're really, really common when self-doubt is in, in charge of things. So I wanted to give you a really simple way that you can start to kind of expand your heuristic and develop some more self-trust by creating more effective, more helpful, more reliable sources of that kind of inner knowing. It's a three-step process and I've tr just tried to really home in on the key steps here. So you can listen to this if you're in the car or you know, you're on a bus or you're getting home from work and you are thinking, how am I going to try this straight away? So there's only three things you need to do. The first thing is to just consider a situation, a relationship in your life where your self-doubt is activated, right? Anything that has come to mind as I've been sharing with you, all or nothing thinking, globalizing and emotional reasoning, like what were the instances that came to mind as I was describing that. So just consider one of those situations, something where your self-doubt is activated and just either write down or note for yourself in your mind, what are your thoughts and feelings about this? And the key thing here is to not edit yourself, like rant away, get your story down. I think it can be really helpful even to create a voice note for yourself on your mobile. It's a great way of just letting it out and also telling yourself your own story. So my teacher, Martha Beck, used to say, fondle the story, right? So you really want to like just let it out. Don't edit yourself. Whose fault is it? It won't be yours, right? So what's going on here? Once you've done this, just kind of breathe. And then I want you to go back to that situation and just describe it in a way you could prove in court, right? So just the facts, what is really happening here? And the idea is that now you've sort of got out of your system all of the stuff that's going on, all the thoughts and feelings you have around it distill the story down to its bones. This gives you something that you can work with that hasn't been distorted, right? It hasn't got a heuristic at play here. So it might be that your situation moves from a big old story about how, as always, Chad is being completely unreasonable about Monday's presentation, you know, and there's a big old story about that, and it moves to Chad has made a request of me. So just notice the difference there, right? One is a big old story and the other is the kind of bones of the story, the skeleton that that story is built on. The skeleton is the bit we want. That's the part that you've kind of can play with and build a new story with, right? Another way you could think of this is a big old story about online dating. It's a total shit show. I'll never meet anyone, everyone I wink at or poke, however you do it these days. They never respond in kind, blah, 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 right? State of the dating world, everything, right? You, there's an amazing story to be fondled there, I am sure. When you distill that down to the bones, it might be something like Sam didn't respond to my message. Notice how there's just no story in there, right? It's just the facts, just the, the kind of un, the truth underneath all of the story. A third example, just because I know a lot of people listening are running their own businesses right now, 
right? It could be that your story is, oh, I have no idea how to be on social media, how to promote and market and sell my business. I'm making all of these beautiful products and services. Not enough people are buying. I have no idea how I can make this work. All of that. Get it all down. Really let yourself go to town on all of the thoughts and feelings that are coming through for you. And then come back to the bones of the story. I'm just starting out and this is scary. All right, so what you are creating with these the bones of the stories is you are creating a new helpful heuristic based on this question, what is underneath my self-doubt? So this the second part is when you actually distill the story down to the kind of facts of things, to, to what you can really work with and rebuild a new a new story with. This is the most important part. Once you get down to those bones, the third part is to build that new story. So just get down to the, that really distilled place and from here notice what are your thoughts and feelings what do you feel inspired to do or to say what is possible for you because what you are doing by going through this process of distilling the story down to its bones is you are giving yourself the raw material to build a new story one that is actually coming from your healthiest adult self right the protective part of you has been telling the old story that's the one that's based in all or nothing globalizing and making decisions based on emotional reasoning on temporary emotions this story has all the potential and possibility that you could need so what is the most helpful compassionate thing you can offer yourself what do you need to hear right now Sometimes it can be hard to imagine what to say to ourselves, to even imagine that we have a healthy adult self. And so just imagine someone you admire, someone whose opinion you really value and care about. What would you love them to say to you? Just let that bubble up and that becomes the thing you say to yourself. Right, what you are doing in this process is building self-trust one story at a time. And all it takes to build a new heuristic, a new mental shortcut that helps us to make meaning out of information, make decisions quickly, all that takes to build that new story are some good bones right, and the willingness to practice it. That's how we build that new story. So self-doubt is a really unreliable narrator. We don't want that telling us the story of our lives. We want to do that from our healthiest adult self. I really hope this episode helps you to start that process. Hey, 
Hey, if you're ready to explore more about your self-doubt, I want to invite you to take the Self-Doubt Archetypes Quiz. It's totally free and you'll uncover your particular flavor of self-doubt. It turns out self-doubt is not this amorphous cloud of woe. There are 12 different types of self-doubt and finding out yours is the first step to getting a handle on it. Just head over to www.sasspetherick.com backslash archetype for all the details.